0: first reading tonight is taken from Isaiah chapter 58 verses 1 to 12 cry aloud do not hold back lift up your voice like a trumpet declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob their sins yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take the knowledge of it? Behold, In the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble themselves Is it to bow down one's head like a reed and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be the, like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt you shall raise up the foundations of many generations you shall be called the repairer of the breach the restorer of streets to dwell in the word of the Lord
1: please stand for the reading of the gospel
2: The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory Glory to you, you, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
1: As we stand, let us pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to be among us, that our hearts would be receptive to the words that you have for us this evening. May you alone be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I'm sure this has been going on all day for many people. Uh, Do we say Happy Valentine's Day or do we say Happy Ash Wednesday? What are we, you know, what are we celebrating here? It's really an interesting and uh, certainly on the surface a seemingly contradictory mashup of celebrations. On the one hand, it is Valentine's Day, with all the focus on love expressed in the giving and receiving of gifts like flowers and chocolate, And on the other hand, it's also Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent where the tone is meant to be sober and reflective and geared more towards giving things up, towards fasting, giving things up like chocolate. They feel pretty contradictory, don't they? Well let's see if there may be a way to bring these two celebrations together uh, this evening. The Christian observance of Lent traditionally is focused on the practice of a number of disciplines. Disciplines like self-examination, penitence, prayer, almsgiving, meditating on scripture, and fasting. In fact, uh, our own Karen Coiter has prepared a booklet uh, highlighting these various spiritual disciplines for our use throughout the Lenten season. And there are a few physical copies at the back. It's also on our website under the resources tab. Uh, By all means, avail yourself of that. But the entire season of Lent is often referred to as the Lenten fast. And fasting is what the lectionary readings today are focusing upon to set the tone for our season. So let's take a few minutes to reflect upon these passages so that we may be able to gain a deeper understanding of the nature of the fast that God chooses. And a closer look at our reading from Isaiah chapter 58 does indeed bear considerable fruit. The passage is a prophetic word of judgment on Israel for her sins. In verse 2 we read, They seek me daily. They delight to draw near to God. Well, that's kind of an unexpected way to begin an indictment of sin, isn't it? How many of us seek God daily and delight to draw near? Uh, I'm not sure I'm all that good at it. He also says, though, they delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness. And there is our first hint at a spiritual problem. They know, but they don't do. In fact, they're eager to learn more but in important ways they are unprepared to put into practice what they know to be God's will. But they're keen on the learning, they're keen on the ritual, far keener than I often am. And so Israel, confused by the distressing circumstances in which they as a nation find themselves, ask God in verse 3, why have we fasted and humbled ourselves and you don't give us the appropriate credit? The first problem that is exposed by this question, though not addressed directly in the text, is a transactional approach to relationship, particularly relationship with God. We seek you, we study, we fast, we debase ourselves. Why don't you keep your end of the bargain, God? Why don't you bless us in the ways that we desire? And God answers that question. Perhaps they shouldn't have asked because the answer is pretty blunt. God says, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Continuing in verse four, he says, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like this, fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. And here we get to the spiritual heart of the matter. The spiritual disciplines, especially fasting, are in large part about self-control, self-regulation, even self-denial. Yet here, the Israelites' fasts were all about themselves and their efforts to manipulate God on the one hand to satisfy their desires and take advantage of others to meet their needs. And the fast simply made them look pious while they were doing it. More than seven centuries later, Jesus in the gospel reading encounters the same theme, where the disciplines remain primarily, perhaps entirely, about the practitioners. Here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus points out the folly of exercising spiritual disciplines so as to be seen pious, to be seen spiritual. Alliance minister A.W. Tozer in his spiritual classic, The Pursuit of God, which has been one of the most formative Little books on on my own spiritual journey, has this to say about the sins of the self, which he calls the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. He says, They are not something we do, they are something we are, and therein lies both their subtlety and their power. To be specific, The self-sins are self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of others like them. And I would add to that list self-loathing. Interestingly enough, one who despises themselves can be every bit as much self-absorbed as a narcissist. Tozer goes on to describe uh, how The sins of the self, these various sins, can be totally at home in Christian community and even admired in Christian leaders. He says, self can live unrebuked at the very altar. It can watch the bleeding victim die and not be in the least affected by what it sees. The remedy for these sins, because they're so ingrained into who they are, they're our self, they're who we are, is severe. And Tozer says, There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do his deadly work within us. We must bring our self-sins to the cross for judgment. We must prepare ourselves for an ordeal of suffering in some measure like that through which our Savior passed when he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, this is not an either-or situation. All of us are self-centered, self-absorbed at times. But the call of God through both the prophets and the gospels is the same, and it's quite clear, and that's away from a focus on self and onto God and onto others. And while this isn't meant to be the primary reason for self-abandonment or or, uh, moving away from a focus on self, I have never yet in my life met a happy, selfish person. Have you? It doesn't happen. Self-centered people are miserable. Servants are joyful. So if selfishness and ostentatious displays of personal piety aren't the type of spiritual discipline that God chooses, what is? Starting at verse 6, the prophet tells us quite eloquently it's to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke. Continuing in verse 7, to share your bread with the hungry, invite the homeless poor into your home, radical hospitality, to clothe the naked. Finally in verse 10, to pour yourself out for the hungry, satisfy the desires of the afflicted. Pour yourself out. Now this is getting to the heart of a Lenten fast that God chooses. The image is that of the drink offering that was poured out upon the altar as an act of prayer, of worship, of abandonment to God. And the Apostle Paul picks up this image near the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter four where he described his life of service as having been poured out like a drink offering. The fast that God chooses is to place the needs of others above our own. And I'll say it again, the fast that God chooses is to place the needs of others above our own, to look away from ourselves first to the cross and then to others, to meet the needs of the needy, whatever those needs may be, whether they're physical, emotional, or spiritual. The results of such a fast as this, are described by the prophet with a beautiful kaleidoscope of uh, diverse images and analogies. Verse 10 is the transformation from darkness to the full light of noonday. Verse 11, it's like an oasis in an arid desert whose waters do not fail. Verse 12, it is the restoration of a city laid waste with a particularly significant and powerful line. In this rebuilding process, you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. While selfishness and greed and all other forms of self-absorption can have no lasting godly heritage, this fast of service for others, of being poured out for the hungry, will have a multi-generational positive impact. Our Gospel reading makes a similar point with different imagery. The last thing that Jesus says about fasting is lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The hyphenated sins of the self, including the ostentatious presentation of our faith practices, are the wood, hay, and stubble that will burn up in the presence of a holy God. They will have no place in eternity. But the sacrificial pouring out of ourselves for the sake of others is the very stuff of eternity. It has present and eternal value and significance. These are the gold, silver, and jewels of the kingdom of God. Or as the prophets, or in the prophet's words, they are a foundation for many generations, a foundation upon which something healthy, wholesome, and protective can be built for generations to come. The next moments in our service will be a time of confession where we will have the opportunity to confess our hyphenated hyphenated sins of the human spirit. And that is a necessary preparation for our time of the imposition of ashes and for communion, where the cross is once again presented before our eyes. And then the prayer following communion says, God of compassion, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you reconciled your people to yourself. Following this example of prayer and fasting, may we obey you with willing hearts and serve one another in holy love. Serve one another in holy love. This life of sacrificial service then is not only the Lenten fast that God chooses, it also makes a great Valentine's Day gift, doesn't it? Because while the cultural and religious rituals that have grown up around Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday and Lent are on the surface very dissonant with each other. When you dig down and get to the heart of the matter, it is in both cases reaching beyond oneself and giving as an expression of divine love. So, happy Valentine's Day, happy Ash Wednesday, a blessed Lent. May we pour ourselves out for the hungry. Amen.